And those are the things that investors are watching for. And that's why a lot of times they actually want to establish those relationships a little bit early because they're going to watch you. You know, what are you yeah. doing with the money? Are you gritty? Are you resourceful? Are you doing everything they can? Because they need to trust you with their investment and they want to have that trust. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Sandra Spencer, manager, UAlberta Health Accelerator. I'm excited to talk to her today about capital raising for entrepreneurs. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Heather. Great to be here. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself? I know you wear many hats. Absolutely. So I kind of started in the entrepreneurial journey um, at my time at Nate and really kind of started in startup programming. And I was a student at the time and got involved on the entrepreneurial side, which really sparked something in me to want to continue in that space. And so fast forward about 10 years um, today, as you mentioned, I am the manager of the Alberta Health Accelerator, which operates under the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry. And there I support 24 health uh, tech companies that are affiliated with the university and looking to commercialize technology at various stages. In addition to that, I'm also the deal flow director with Valhalla Private Capital's Angel Group, Valhalla Angels. We have six Mm -hmm. chapters in Western Canada. And so my role there is I get to see all the entrepreneurs who are coming to our group to pitch to our investors. And we have a network of um, over 100 um, in, investors across BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. So I get to have a look and support the companies that are looking to pitch and make sure they're a good fit for our group. Um, on top of that, of course, I do a lot of different contract work, consulting and coaching with entrepreneurs, which is definitely an area I'm super passionate about. And um, I do that through my company, Nimble Strategizing, which I started about three years ago, which affords me the opportunity to do some other side work um, with groups like Volition Advisors, which is an international startup advisory and event firm. Um, they do a lot of uh, pitch events and have some advisory functions. And I'm one of their advisors and I get to do different contracts with either startups or other organizations that are working in the space. I've done a lot in events and program development. So, so I've definitely had a wide range of experience leading up over the past 10 years. It sounds like it. Uh, It sounds like you must not really know what you're doing on any particular day because that's a lot of buckets to choose from. (laughs) Absolutely. Something that I think is really important to talk about is, you know, I do, I've learned that I have some um, ADD, which is really interesting because I think people think that, you know, maybe to some degree that they do, but it's actually became really relevant to me. And I recently got diagnosed in the past few years And it made so much sense. But something I've learned is women tend to get diagnosed later in life. And so because we tend to cope more. And so the fact that I'm actually really obsessed with organization has been a coping mechanism for my attention deficit disorder. 
And so I thought that was, I thought that was worth mentioning because I actually do thrive in wearing a lot of different hats, but I have to also be really careful because sometimes I can get a little too uh, (laughs) scattered. Yeah. It was something really interesting I've learned in this process of being a contractor. Yeah, that, you, that there's oh, that's that that is fascinating, and it, it's it's also fascinating that you you mentioned that you know your your obsession with being really organized has has served as a coping mechanism and probably hidden the fact maybe you know some of the symptoms of of the ADD, which which maybe I think can make it harder to diagnose, which also goes to the point about you know females being diagnosed later. Well. Also important to talk about, and, and I think a bit of a theme with, uh, with your, you know, your track record and the various hats that you wear um, as you support entrepreneurs uh, and as they kind of get out of the starting blocks and then as they get to growing and scaling and all the things that entrepreneurial companies do, um, they can't do that without sufficient capital to allow them to take, you know, the next step in, in the pathway. Can you, or do you have any comments on the importance of raising capital for startup companies. I think lots of people are scared of doing that. Do you do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think it's really interesting and I think it helps to define a little bit about like what is a startup and, and you know yeah. what it actually means to raise capital because I think the environment we're now in is kind of everyone maybe when you think startup I think the default is somebody starting a company, you're starting up. But truthfully, I mean, a startup in definition, and I know in in a lot of ecosystems, there's been a lot more work on defining what it actually means to be a startup. And I know kind of Calgary and Edmonton have been having some conversation about that and actually really defining a startup as starting a high growth potential company. Mm -hmm. The reason why I bring that up is because, I mean, if you want to, for me, for instance, I started my company, Nimble Strategizing. You could call it a startup, but truthfully, I mean, it was one person and I'm not going to scale it up. I mean, I might bring somebody on. I might need some money to do that and I could grow my business, but it's not a high growth company. And when we say high growth, it is that hockey stick analogy of really that exponential. You're seeing multiples in the growth of revenue over time. And, And I think that's important because we do see a lot of companies that really don't want to go down that path of Correct. really, you yeah. know, double downing on that. And it's really more of a straight line. And that's still a really good business, but you're probably not going to go for private capital. And so as much right. as it's important as a startup who is going to do that hockey stick, it's important for people to know if you're not doing the hockey stick, you probably should not go for private capital in terms of equity. And I say right. that too, because you can get debt from, you know, net worth individuals like angels, and you can still pursue debt in those environments, but probably you're not a good equity deal. And I think that's kind of setting that baseline of when we're talking about that is important. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I like I like that definition that you've talked about, which is the the, you know, the, the high potential growth or the high, the focus on sort of exponential growth at, at some point. And certainly there's lots of, of clients that I work with that come to me and they say, Hey, I want to start a company. And you say, you know, you ask them some questions, what's that going to be? Is it going to be for you to be a consultant? Is it going to be for you to, you know, invent this, this product or take a service or something like that and, and grow it. And, and sometimes people want to just dip their toe into that entrepreneurship 
pond, if you will, and they're not sure. And so they say, well, you know, I, I, I want to start this way. But then once they've been in it for a year or two or some amount of time and they get really crystal clear on what their offering is, they then maybe shift their thinking a little bit and say, okay, well, now is the time for me to get on that hockey stick growth curve because I now... I know my market, I've got my product market fit, and I can really grow this thing. But they they don't always necessarily intend that uh, from the outset. And then conversely, you have companies that say, like, from day one, I'm going to grow exponentially, and they don't have that product market fit, and they and they can't because they, you know, they never actually get there. So from your experience, how, how do you know, or like, what's the right, from a timing perspective, um, to think about raising capital? Is it when you've got that product market fit or is it sooner than that? I mean, I guess, you know, and it's one of those things that it, it always is a little bit of depends on industry mm-hmm. and what is going on. But 100%, of um, sometimes the best way to think of this is from the investor perspective. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget about that. Um, yeah. I always joke that, you know, angels, although in their name, you know, they seems so holy. They're not angelic. It's not philanthropic. Exactly. But it's not philanthropic. It's still an investment. And so they're looking for a return. So, you know, when you start to put your feet in the shoes of an investor, and if you were going to invest, what would you need to see to make an investment? And I mean, there's an exception that it is a high risk investment when you are looking at startups, of course. But Basically, what you're balancing between is how do you mitigate the risk as much as you can, but without losing too much time to lose your potential for growth and, and getting into mm-hmm. market. Those are really the two sides you're going against because, you know, really an entrepreneur should wait as long as they can before raising capital because yeah. you're creating value in your company. So you're going to get, you know, the quote unquote better deal of okay, I've built valuation into my company. I've built all this value so that when you do go raise that money, you're in a better position to get a good deal and a reasonable amount. But that takes time. And so, you know, maybe you don't have five years to get there because, you know, the window for the opportunity is now, um, you know, you want to be first to market or you want to get on that. And that's really where now, okay, your time crunch is coming. You don't have the time to build that value so it's working against you. So when are you going to need that injection of capital? I also think that, like, I like your your thought about put yourself in the shoes of the investor, because I think that the story that you want to tell to the investor isn't, hey, like, I'm going to need some money in the next, like, year. How about you give me some now? The investor's going to want to say, well, I want to give you money when you need it, right? So I think your timing question is exactly right. If you think about it from the perspective of the investor, but there is there is a bit of a sweet spot there because you don't want to go to your investor and say, well, I actually needed the money last month. How how good are you to give it to me now, right? Like you've got to hit the 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 kind of that sweet spot so that you get the money when you need it, uh, not too soon and not too late, right? Exactly. And so, of course, that's always the question of, of when. And I think, you know, there's no right sweeping answer, but yeah. I think it's it's like you said, it's what are the things you do to know when the time is going to be right. And I think it is mapping out, having some sense of, you know, what are these major milestones and what are the things that need to happen? But really, I mean, you're investing for scale and growth. And I think that's really important. You're not usually investing for startups. It's the potential of that growth. It's that injection of capital. So you have to have some of that proven out. I mean, 
investors always want to seek some kind of revenue. So I'm always, my mindset is, can you get to revenue? Can you do it quickly? Minimum viable products. Like this is where the lean comes in. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's a lot more of this lean startup, but can't like just get somebody to pay you for what you're doing? Cause that speaks so much volume. And then it's, yeah. well, can you get that to happen again and again? And I mean, a lot of companies want to come pre-revenue, but then you have to think again from an investor perspective of, is it, you know, you're enjoying this as an entrepreneur and you're building a product, but can you actually execute? And one of the things I say all the time is a product does not make a business, a customer does. Right. And so right. just because you have something doesn't mean anyone wants it. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that thing. You know, and it might end up just being a hobby, but, you know, until you actually have a customer, you don't have a business. And yeah. so even if you haven't quite gotten to that revenue yet, which in some cases, this is, and this is the test, like, have you tried to get to revenue and do you have a reasonable request of why you haven't been able to get to revenue on your own and you need someone else's money to do it? Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's really important. <clears throat> just speaking to the... um to the comment that you made about how that the drip or at least, you know, dripping into revenue and saying, I've got a customer who will pay me for this. Maybe my product isn't perfect. Um, there's some refinement that needs to happen, but I do have people who are showing interest and I can get this recurring revenue. And that's my, you know, my springboard to, to launch into really developing further developing the product. From a, from an investor perspective. So I get this question a lot from entrepreneurs who will say to me, start up my company and I'm doing what I can to explore grant funding. And, you know, there's all kinds of grants depending on the industry and the, you know, the time uh, times that we're in, like during COVID, there's some additional grant funding, obviously that's available, et cetera. And some of them will, will say to me, I don't know that, that an investor, so I, I want to maybe get some grant funding now so that I can get this, this minimum viable product and I can get out there and I can see if I have any customers who are willing to get me on that recurring revenue train but will an investor be disinterested in my company for having obtained grants early on? And I get that question a lot. And to me, I don't, I don't know why an investor would be scared away of an early stage company having grant funding. Is that a question that you're asked? Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I wouldn't say I've been asked that so much, but I definitely heard some varying opinions on that. I would say... Mm. In Canada, and again, I think it depends on the investor and, and the challenge, the hardest thing about angel investor. I mean, when you get to institutional, there's a lot more clear, I guess, thesis around their of investment of what yeah. they're looking for. But at angels, I mean, every angel is different. They've got different reasons. I mean, some one might just like, hey, you know what? I like you. I'm going to write a check versus, you sure. know, we're going to go through two months of due diligence before I write you a check, right? So, you know, yeah, it, it yeah. does depend, but. I think some of the stances on that comment around grants, I, there's kind of two pieces. And I think the concern actually from an investor perspective is pursuing grants can become, can become distracting. Sure. And I think that yeah. is where the concern can come in is that, you know, you find a grant that maybe doesn't fit what you're doing. And so you, when you start chasing money, yeah. it, your, your strategy changes because you're not finding money to do the things you need to do. You're just finding money where you need to. And sometimes it's like, well, if I do this project, it's not really what I need, but I'll get something out of it. So I'm going to do this. And it's actually not putting you on the pathway. And I think 
that's the biggest risk. And a lot of companies can get hung up on that. And I've heard it in Alberta, definitely, because I mean, we do have a lot of granting opportunities that their company's business actually becomes writing grants and that's their revenue source. Yeah. That's not yeah. your business, right? And so you get these zombie yeah. companies who are really good at writing grants. And so I think that is maybe where that hesitance can come maybe from an investor. So I think maybe being mindful of that. But the other side is investors want to know you're being resourceful and you're right, leveraging right. money. And so, you know, if an investor is going to give you $300,000, you can leverage that into $900,000. That's awesome. What you need to do, though, is, is not just telling them you're going to leverage it. That's a surface level checkbox. What are you going to do with it? Use sure, of funds sure. is really important. And that's, I think, what it comes into. Why did you get that grant? How did it help you? Did you do well yeah. with it? And those are the things that investors are watching for. And that's why a lot of times they actually want to establish those relationships a little bit early because they're going to watch you. You know, what are you yeah. doing with the money? Are you gritty? Are you resourceful? Are you doing everything they can? Because they need to trust you with their investment and they want to have that trust. So I think showing how you've done what you needed to do to get the money, to figure out your products, you know, your product and your problem solution fit know your customers, you've done customer development, you know it's something they want, you've found the money where you needed to to get it as far as you can. That's a real gritty story versus we got a ton of grants, we did a project here, we did a project there, look at us, like you should just give us money because other people gave us money. You know, if I take a lesson out of that out of that uh, story that you've told, it's really about being strategic in the opportunities for grants. So for example, if there is a grant that is available that is right in your sweet spot of, of your, you know, problem solution fit that you've talked about or that will help you, you know, develop your, your product and you would do it basically whether you got the grant or not, of course that makes sense because it it's then not a distraction from you moving forward on, on what your path is. But if you're just trying to almost fit a square peg into a round hole because there's some degree of overlap and it might work and it'll help us limp along for a little while, then you all you're doing is taking yourself further away from that problem solution fit. So I think the lesson there is really to be strategic and grants, I think, can be very, you know, very worthwhile um, and they can help you, you know, grow to to a certain extent and they can help set the story and set the stage for when you do seek investors. But you do need to be very strategic about which ones you're going to chase, because um, my experience with with entrepreneurs that I've dealt with is that. Grants are not like you don't just sit down for 10 minutes and fill out an application like there's a lot that goes into it. And so in order for you to devote, you know, up to 40 hours or whatever it is for a particular grant, you've got to be certain that it is going to move your business forward as opposed to just, you know, chasing random projects as you've as you've talked about. Absolutely. And I have this conversation with companies all the time and it's really and I always tell them and this is why, like I said, you know, having that roadmap of what are these milestones you need to hit to scale and create value in your company? Then it's, okay, well, in order for us to do this, we're going to need some capital. So you should be looking at, well, is there a grant that fits? It's it's finding money that fits your plan, right. not yep. the other way around. Other and way. that's exactly it. And I actually appreciate when our companies all say, oh, you know, did you look at this grant? Like, it seems like it's a fit, but I always tell them, like, even when I'm sharing grant information, do not just apply for it because I've shared it with you. Like I'm right, expecting right. you to look at it. And 
And again, it's actually the opportunity cost because I think it's easy. It's very easy for entrepreneurs to get stuck on why need money. But I tell them, you're always going to need money. Always. (laughs) Everyone's always going to need money. Money does not solve problems. You have to, you know, get the things done that need to get done. It's what you're doing with that money that matters. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, uh, perfectly said. I, I, I see that a lot. Um, I want to shift a little bit to, to let's talk about the investor. And so we've talked about how, you know, potentially pursuing grants can become a distraction. I want to talk about the perception that is out there and, and the reality to, to a large extent, certainly from uh, some of the companies that I've worked with, where you go uh, and you 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 do a, a an investment round, and maybe it's through some angel investors, and they're going to take a really small percentage, like let's say one percent or half a percent of of the company. So they might give you you know fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, some some amount, and then the distraction isn't anymore that I'm chasing grants, but the distraction is that I have a handful, you know, five, six, ten, whatever. Uh, little tiny investors who think they're now steering my ship and they think that I report to them and they think that, you know, I should drop everything and answer their calls day and night. And, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing within the investor pool. How do you manage that? Yeah, that's a tough one. And I think, I mean, in some cases, it's, it's almost planning again, for getting that capital in and knowing what you're going for. Because I think, again, a lot of entrepreneurs, I, I think it's easy for them to d- default in the vulnerable position of, well, I need money. And so I kind of got to take what I can get. Right. I need to get yeah. out there. And, you know, I really, really push back on that because I tell them, you know, if if you're not confident about the deal you're putting in front of them, you shouldn't be talking to people yet. Because right. the point is, you're positioning an investment opportunity. So people should be excited about it. And you should think they're going to be excited about it because you actually have something to share. And I think sometimes it does get into that whole point of maybe not knowing what investors want. And there's different investors. Yeah. But you have to do your research. Equally, like, you know, investors are looking at startups. You need to know who you're pitching to. And there are different ty- types of investors. And I know, you know, with Valhalla, um, I used to support them with their base camp program and they still run those. And one of the things that all, we always talked about in those programs was different types of investors. There's the ones that want to be hands off. There's ones that want to be hands on right. and really getting a sense of that. And that's where, you know, when you go pitch, I, and I think a lot of people think like, okay, you know, if I go pitch to a Valhalla form, for instance, that you you know you're coming out of that with a check. That's that's not happening. And I think this is also that point about knowing when you're going to need money and planning ahead of time because raising capital can take months and it can yeah. be a full time job. And so I think again, people get into that situation of, well, now we need money and I have to take whatever's offered to me. And that's how I think you get into those situations of taking smaller checks, you know, not yeah. realizing who you kind of are now connected with because, you know, realizing that when you bring on capital, they're becoming a shareholder. That's like a marriage, right? You know, this is somebody that now, and so you have to be doing your due diligence on your side as well, especially at the angel space. You should be looking for, you know, quote unquote, smart money. And that's really what investors want you to be looking for. What are they bringing to the table? What are they contributing to the company? If you just need cash, like go find other means for it. 
Well, and and also, I mean, I think I think there's an element, and you've touched on this that if you've decided to take this smart money, right? Like, let's say you're going to take some some money from you know three or four guys, as opposed to taking smaller amounts from 10 or 12 guys, then I think that you you need to, as you say, do your diligence on that group of people and know who they are and what why you're taking their money, what they're going to contribute, and then what role you want them to have, right? And make sure that there's some alignment, that those expectations are managed between the company that's receiving the cash and what the expectation is of the investors. Do they want to be reported to quarterly, let's say, do they, you know, whatever it is. And then once you've set up those parameters, so you've said, okay, I'm going to report to you quarterly, I'm going to give you a financial update twice a year or whatever, whatever works, right, for the for the players at the table. Then when people get anxious because, you know, the markets have crashed because, I don't know, there's this thing called COVID and everybody's worried about their 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 investment, then I think you need to, as the entrepreneur, you need to have the discipline to say, okay, I'm I'm working like we're all we're all struggling. I'm working through this, and we committed to providing you with these quarterly or monthly or whatever it is updates. So I need to focus on my business. I can't answer your phone calls all day long, but know that I will uphold the obligation that I committed to in terms of these reporting requirements, so that the investor's not left out cold, but they can't suddenly up the level of reporting or up the level of like handholding that's needed um, when you got to focus on your business, right? As you say, ca- raising cash can be a full-time job, but you've, your, your full-time job really better be on running that, that company, which is where those investors get their ROI. Exactly. And to your point, I think it's also important to recognize, um, you know, when we start talking about the functions of a company and, you know, I don't like to say roles because I think roles have gotten too structured, but, you know, there's certain yeah. functions that need to happen in a company. I mean, you need to do sales, you need to do product development, you know, you need to do some marketing, you've got to do your customer development. But there is, and again, you, you'll you have a sense of this knowing kind of how much capital you're anticipating needing to raise because, again, you should have that mapped out. And there are some templates around what that typically looks like, you know what kind of checks you need at certain valuations. So you have that roadmap, but you need to make sure somebody on the team then is kind of helping manage that. I mean, I've had roles with companies, even as, you know, kind of contracted in, you know, maintaining due diligence um, folders, right? Like online data spaces for a company, Um, connecting with the investors, like who is doing those investor relations. So something I talk about with my companies, and, you know, I'm seeing more and more of them doing that is basically an uh, investor newsletter. And some of them right. do it monthly and some of them do it quarterly. And that's for current investors. That's for potential investors, you know, and I'm on the list for most of them. So, you know, other kind of stakeholders who are interested need to see that. And that's a great way to manage that. But, you know, somebody has to take that on. And I think that's really important of understanding, you know, for companies who are going to raise capital, what it mean, what it actually means to take money. Because sometimes right. like nobody thinks past that. <laughs> it's, Okay, I get a check. But what happens after the check? And I think really being mindful, and I challenge people when I do have these conversations, because again, it's should you even raise money? Are you actually down that growth path? Have you actually proven that there's growth potential on this? And that's where, like you said, that traction and some of that research needs to be done and validated to actually know it does have that hockey stick potential. If it doesn't, it's still a good business, but I think in the era we're in of Dragon's Den and Shark Tank, everyone who starts something automatically thinks they need to go raise capital and that they're all 
on this path and haven't actually established if they really are or not and that it's okay if you're not. It doesn't mean you can't get to millions of dollars in revenue and build a team and be an established business. It's just you're not doing it fast. You're not taking on equity. And, and I mean, the other thing is, you know, a lot of companies want to raise capital, a lot of founders, and they want to run this business for 20 years. That doesn't work. Yeah. I yeah, mean, these guys, the they want yeah. an exit, right? You want an exit. This is like build it, leave, move on to something else. And I think that's another yeah. thing that I've, I've learned. Like I, I end up being more of a therapist because it's like, well, <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing in five years? What does this look like? You know, you're doing this now. Are you going to quit your job? Are you going to run this full time? Um, Are you okay with selling this business in five years? Because if you're not, maybe you shouldn't be raising capital. So I think it helps to have somebody to talk about because there is a personal, very like, you know, who do you want to be when you grow up conversation that needs to happen to really help get people on the right path of knowing what that plan is. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure that I, I couldn't agree more. And, 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 and there's no shame if, if, if that's not the path that you want to be, be on, there's, there's no shame in that because there's, there's, you know, plenty of entrepreneurs and there's enough entrepreneurs in this world for everybody, right? You can, you can still do your thing. You can still have your, your baby of a company and you can still grow it. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe raising capital with, with, uh, investors isn't your thing and that's fine. Well, and exactly. And I think again, you know, the startup culture and the raising culture has definitely been glamorized, which I don't think yeah. is a bad thing, but then I think it makes it harder because, you know, what is wrong with a lifestyle business? Yeah, I absolutely. mean, you, you know, if you're bringing home six figures for yourself and you're, you're just, you know, you get your holidays when you want, you're not working 24 seven, you're sustaining yourself, maybe a couple other people, there's nothing wrong with that. And so I think, that's the important piece. And, and I know even for me, it's really hard because I've worked in the tech and innovation ecosystem for 10 years. So that seems like that's all anyone wants to do. But I always right. keep even myself in check when I'm talking to entrepreneurs of, well, maybe you want to just do this instead. Like, And it's okay. And so I really try to focus on giving a lot of information so they can make informed decisions. Do you have any recommendations or any thoughts on on resources where our listeners could find out more about raising capital or about the pitfalls or just some general resources for entrepreneurs that you like to recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some, you know, of the local things. I think uh, what Startup TNT is doing with the Investment Summit, what Startup TNT is doing in the community of bringing people together just even allows the relationship building. I mean, the best thing an entrepreneur can do is go talk to someone who's raised capital. Yeah. And I mean, there's yeah. tons of people. And, you know, honestly, as an entrepreneur, they're probably going to be pretty open to having that conversation because everyone always has something to say about raising capital. Um, you know, yeah. we just ran a session with Future Fields on their experience with Y Combinator because I think it's important for people to know, well, what was the inside actually like? It's one thing to read about yeah. these things online, but... To me, that's probably the very first thing. I mean, the other is, um, you know, again, getting out in the community, checking out pitch events. Um, you know, if you're real serious about raising capital, I mean, even at Valhalla, entrepreneurs can come watch the forum. Like, come see mm-hmm. companies pitching for capital. You yeah. know, we have 10-minute pitches. The investors have a conversation with the entrepreneurs out of the room. And to me, that's the most valuable experience I've had is, you know, the entrepreneurs out of the room, you're getting real insight from an investor perspective and you're going to see conflicting 
thoughts on that. I yeah, mean, some yeah. people say I'd never write a check and some would. So how do you, how do you figure that yeah, out? Right. That. So, right. Exactly. So I think those are some of the better like hands-on resources. Um, of yeah. course, like joining a mentor program, like somebody who doesn't, you know, have, they're not advising you or having like an invested interest. I think is also really good. You know, there's things like venture mentoring services or even like business link. A lot of those advisory groups that know a lot of entrepreneurs, they've seen what they've all gone through um, and can really have an honest, some honest feedback for you. And that's where, you know, what we're doing at the health accelerator is really targeted on one-on-one and, you know, well, how does, what does that look like for you as a company and having somebody to talk to about it, I think is really important. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's, you know, there's there's lots of information sifting through that information to find what's particularly relevant for you, but then also knowing who you can reach out to within your network um, to get that one on one and to and just to bounce some ideas off of people, right? Like you can kind of get in your head a lot if you don't, um, you know, speak to some other people and get some other perspectives. So I think that's, uh, that's really wise, wise counsel to, uh, to, to think about how you can get the general and then make it very specific for, for what you're doing. Exactly. And I mean, I will say, you know, um, one of the biggest downfalls a lot of companies have is the valuation side of things. Right. So, I mean, I always push to Berkus, the Berkus method. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look up Berkus model, especially if you're pre-revenue, I mean, that's a very specific resource, but that's probably something that is the biggest challenge is for people to value their company. And of course they get hung up on, you know, it's their baby. So, you know, I'd say something like that. And just even going on YouTube, but again, it's the comparing apples to oranges that becomes the problem, right? It's like, you know, oh, well, I watched this pitch from Airbnb and I just mimic that. It's like, well, but if that's not your same, you know, <laughs> right. industry and same customer, that maybe isn't, you're not getting the message across properly. So I think, you know, thinking about that and again, understanding what the full process is, I think, you know, reiterating the comment of know what happens after the check before you even go yeah. start asking for checks. <laughs> For, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's really important and it, it just aligns people's interests and then, and then you have, you're just out of the gate, you have a better chance for success. If everybody knows what the expectations are and everybody's working towards the same thing, you're less likely to be at cross purposes with your, your investors. Yeah. I think entrepreneurs were just really get stuck on it's like, Oh, I'm going to raise capital. So I just need to learn to pitch. Right. Like that's kind yeah. of the thought process. Like, okay. Well now I got to pitch. Um, but yeah. it's so much more than that. I mean, it's not about, it's not pitching. It's how you're telling your story. Those are just tools of how you're telling your story, making sure it's good investment, know who you're going to pitch to, know why they would want to write you a check. Have you written yourself a check? Like, do you have money yeah. in the company? You know, what was, yeah. what would you need to do for that? And then that due diligence piece. And then once you actually sign all the paperwork, and I mean, of course, that's where you come in on, you know, I'm even just knowing the paperwork. I'm sure you see that all the time. Like, term sheets and shareholder agreements, all these documents that, you know, people start going to raise money and haven't even thought about that stuff yet. And now they're scrambling right. to put it together for due diligence. And then they sign off on it. And then they realize, oh, my God, we didn't establish what this was actually going to look like. And like you said, it's either yeah. investors are hounding you for information or you thought they'd be more involved and you're asking them for help and they're not there. And it's never too early to start building those relationships. I think that's the last thing I would want to say is getting out there and meeting people. I mean, you know, investors sometimes want to watch you for a while before they'll write a check. So 
seeing awesome. it, yeah. you know, kind of see what's going on. Um, you know, yeah. when you're at that early stage, and that's where again, you know, those investor newsletters or updates, keeping them in the loop of what's going on, because then when you do need capital, it's already warmed up. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think that's really important. And even if you like, you know, if people say, Hey, like I want to raise capital, but I'm not going to need that money for a little while. Well, get out there and start meeting people so that when you do need to do that, you're not starting from ground zero. You've already got, as you say, either a warm introduction or your face is familiar. People get to know what your brand is. And then those conversations are just so much easier at a time that's, that's a little bit more relevant to when you need it. Well, this has been really informative. I, I really thank you for the candor and, and the both sides of the equation, because I think that um, people sometimes understand from the entrepreneur and that, that, that vulnerability and that sense of desperation. But you do really need to think about it from the investor's perspective as well, because really, you know, like you talked about shareholder agreements and taking on investors, it really is a marriage and you really do want it to succeed long term. And that takes a bit of a different mindset um, than just like, oh, I need I need to go find some cash on the street, right? So I thought, I, I think this has been been really helpful. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.